Uh, Genesis chapter 47, we saw uh, last Sunday night. Boy, I really enjoyed just to how Joseph was the perfect mediator. Wasn't it? Just praise the Lord for that, and I looked at that. But we've been looking at our outline here. We've been talking about this ministry phase um, of him ministering to his family. And uh, we're getting pretty close to the end of the book. And uh, so pray for direction and wisdom where the Lord have us to go through. I always like preaching through a book of the Bible because I believe it's vital that we as God's people know this book. And uh, so, uh, but uh, do pray for wisdom there. Uh, but we're looking at the ministry phase. We saw the proposition in chapter 45 all the way to chapter 46 and verse number 7. Then we saw the propagation in chapter 46 verses 8 to 30. Preparation in chapter 46, verse 31 to 34, which brings us to the presentation in chapter number 47, uh, when they will stand before Pharaoh and be presented before Pharaoh. So let's read chapter 47. Uh, We'll read a few verses here, and then we'll pray and uh, get into this passage. It says, Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. Then said uh, they said, Moreover, unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we come. For thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto me. The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have, they, have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of, uh, of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, and as Pharaoh had commanded, and Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. And there was no need, no, and there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore. So that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money, when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came into Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you your cattle if money fell. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for flocks and for cattle of the herds and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. When that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said to him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not, enough, there is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and 
we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die that the land be not desolate and Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh for the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them so the land became Pharaoh's and as for the people he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt even to the other end thereof only the land of the priest bought he not for the priest had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them wherefore they sold not their lands then Joseph said unto the people behold I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh lo here is seed for you and ye shall sow the land and it came to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh and four parts shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for them of your households and for food for your little ones and they said thou hast saved our lives let us find grace in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants and Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto, that, unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the land for, of the priest only which became not Pharaoh's Father I pray that Lord you just please help us as we look at this passage Lord it's, this book has been just wonderful to study I pray that God you just put a hedge about this place help our thoughts to be centered on your word and I pray that you teach us something tonight to help us and encourage us. And we love you so much. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So you have this presentation. I want you to see a couple things uh, quickly this evening. Number one, I want you to see Joseph before Pharaoh. In verse number one, Joseph comes and he speaks to Pharaoh. Uh, he tells Pharaoh, they're here. Um, they're here. They're in Goshen. My father, my brethren, uh, they are all come out of the land of Canaan. And they are here. So you see the Joseph before Pharaoh. And then you, I want you to see the just before Pharaoh. And verse number two. Interesting. Verse number two. And he took some of the brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. So five were chosen. Why these five? Answer. I have no clue. Oh, yeah, all right. Um, you know, I, there's all kinds of thoughts on this. Uh, we just uh, don't know. And if God needed us to know, he would have made it very clear, all right? Uh, but we, we do not know. Uh, some think so it wouldn't intimidate Pharaoh. Uh, if he'd have brought in the whole family, 70 of them, that probably would have been an issue. Um, and, uh, but it, even all the brethren, uh, just uh, maybe just out of respect, just brought a handful uh, some people say it was part of Eastern practice, uh, just uh, not to bring a big crowd in the Pharaoh's court. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, some people go down the numerology thing. Five in the Bible, they say, is the number of grace. And uh, that's why Benjamin got five times as much and, and other things. And I'm not big into numerology because you can make things whatever you want to if you're really clever enough. Uh, I heard a preacher one time preach that uh, how Hitler was in the book of Esther because of numerology. No, uh, but um, in any case, uh, uh, but uh, they, you know, I, I, I don't know. I do know this, and I believe this, though, that this whole picture, again, Joseph, I believe, is a picture of God. Um, I, I believe that all of this happened to, to bring and reunite uh, Israel, Jacob, and his family back to Joseph. I believe it is a picture of um, the end of the tribulation. There was a, this time of famine. I believe it's a picture of the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, I believe that, um, that uh, the end, when they're all reunited, is a picture of uh, when 
Israel will look to God and say, Behold our God, and God will look at His people and say, Behold my people. And I believe, personally, um, that this chapter here is a lot of a wonderful picture of when the Lord comes back to rule and reign on the earth. And I believe that this uh, represents this in so many ways. And I think you'll see this uh, tonight. Um, the fact is this, according to the Word of God, at the end of the tribulation, two-thirds of all Israel will be destroyed. It's a terrible thing. Uh, it'll be a second holocaust is what it'll be. And a third of all Israel will remain. But that one-third, as Paul prophesied, all Israel will be saved. And that one-third will turn their heart to God at the end of that tribulation. And God will uh, again receive them. And when he comes back, and we talked about a premillennial return, when he comes back, he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. His apostles will rule and reign in Israel with him. And I believe that all of Israel will be there close to the Lord. And the Lord's going to take care of them, provide for them, nourish them, protect them, just like you read here. Right? And so I believe it all is a, a, a picture, a foreshadow of what is to come. But you see these five chosen in verse number two, and then you see this familiar question in verse three and four. I say familiar question because Pharaoh said unto his brethren, what is your occupation? Remember last week? Joseph said, now when you go stand before Pharaoh, he's going to ask you, what is your occupation? Now, he asked this question, and he asked him very bluntly, because I believe for a couple things, and I want you to catch this, all right? Because number one... Pharaoh asked this question because there was an expectation of them coming into his land. Say, so what was the expectation? They would work. What is your occupation? What are you going to be doing here? All right? Now, we know the answer that they gave, but this is a very important principle. Pharaoh didn't expect them to come and lounge around and let other people take care of them. Pharaoh was asking, what do you do? What is your occupation? Paul would repeat this principle in the New Testament in saying that if man is not willing to work, neither should he eat. Amen? What is the expectation here? Even here, they were expected to be busy working, and God expects all able-bodied men to be working and providing for your home. God expects that, all right? And uh, it is a shame. It is a travesty. Matter of fact, Paul described it as one area that is worthy of church discipline. If a man has an able body and he just is lazy and he doesn't work. Amen. There was an expectation here. God expects, now sometimes thinks there's health issues and I get all these things, but listen, if God is giving you strength and a body to work, you need to work. Amen. It is a, a, it God's given role and is not to be lazy. And there was this expectation, welcome, if Pharaoh's going to welcome him, but the first thing he says is not good, stay in Goshen. First thing he says is, hey, I'm going to take care of you. The first thing he says is, what do you do? As a matter of fact, he's going to take some of these men to watch over his own cattle. He told Joseph later to find out whichever ones are the most wise and strongest in this area and give them a job under, in, my, in my stables, right? 
And so God expects it. Amen. Keep that in mind, all right? There's this familiar question. There's an expectation. But then there is given an explanation. They, they answered this question. Uh, look again. They said in verse number three, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said, Moreover unto Pharaoh, they continued speaking, For to sojourn in the land are we come. For thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Their explanation they give, they say, we are shepherds. Joseph had told them to say that. And uh, I think we established why, all right? He didn't want Israel to forget who they were. He didn't want them to get sucked into the world, all right? And because they were shepherds, they would be kept separate from Egypt. And there would be a separation. And I'll say it again. God expects his people to be separate from the world. We have no business being just like the world, intermingling with the world, marrying the world, and adopting the world's philosophies, language, teaching, entertainment. Be careful there. God expects his people to be separate, all right? But they said we are shepherds. I like that they said that uh, they were just seeking to sojourn in the land. In other words, they said everywhere we've been, back in Canaan land, there's no more grass. This is Travis Burke's commentary, but you read it. There's no more grass. There's nowhere for our cattle to feed and eat. And then they said they sought something. They were seekers. They said, could we please stay here in the land of Goshen? And so they were shepherds, sojourners, and seekers. Again, as shepherds, they would stay in a place, and they would go on, all right? They would try to be fruitful, take care of their needs, but that wasn't their home. They would keep on moving. God expects his people, this world is not our home. We are here for a while, but there's a better day coming, and a better place, and a better destination. But you see this familiar question, this expectation and explanation. But then you see, thirdly, a friendly offer in verses 5 through 6. Pharaoh responds to them, and uh, he says to Joseph, he said, they're fathering your brethren, they're coming to thee. And he says, the land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen. He says, Joseph, he said, your family can stay in the best land Egypt has. They would stay in the land of Goshen. No, located in the delta region of the Nile, very rich soil. Uh, the grass was still growing there. Uh, just a, a, it is, it, this is Pharaoh's words, not mine. The best Egypt had to offer, right? And they were able to stay there. He even goes on, uh, Pharaoh does, to say, and if thou knowest, in the verse number six, any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. You know these men, Joseph, and if any of them these men would be a benefit and a blessing and know and they're strong in what they do, bring them in and give them that job and, and take care of my cattle. I throw this in there every chance I get. Wherever you work, whatever you do, for the testimony of Christ, you ought to be the best that you can possibly be. Be faithful, be on time, be a hard worker, don't look for shortcuts. Do your best, all right? And uh, he, Pharaoh was looking for this. And I, I assume that Joseph picked some out and did that, all right? But in any case, we'll go on. We see Joseph before Pharaoh, the just before Pharaoh. And then we see Jacob before Pharaoh. Jacob now comes in. 
In verse number 7 to 10, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and set him before Pharaoh. And the first thing that Jacob does to Pharaoh is what? He blessed him. I want to remind you real quick about Jacob's grandfather who came to Egypt, Abraham. When Abraham came to Egypt, he left, according to Pharaoh, being a curse to Pharaoh. Remember the story. He lied about his wife, being his wife. A great plague came into the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh rebuked Abraham and said, Why have you brought a curse into my home? Praise the Lord when Israel left. And when he got there, he brought a blessing to Pharaoh. We as God's people should be a blessing to the people around us. Not a matter of cursing to the people around us. I love the fact that Pharaoh is blessed. He blesses Pharaoh twice. When he comes in and when he leaves. Verse number 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went, and went out. So he blesses Pharaoh when he comes in and he blesses Pharaoh when he leaves. But he blesses Pharaoh. But then I want you to see, he, uh, for my alliteration, I, I put he briefs Pharaoh. He updates him on his life there. He shows, first of all, and I like this, look at it real quick. He reveals his destination. Verse number seven, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, how old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage. That's important. This pilgrimage. He tells Pharaoh, I'm just passing through. Amen. The days of my pilgrimage. Even Jacob understood this is not the end. Jacob understood that his days here on this earth were just a pilgrimage. And he reveals us his destination. Again, this is not the destination. Someday we'll be with the Lord. That is the destination. Amen. Uh, but then he, he tells him about his days. Not just his destination, but his days. He says there again in verse number 9, Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage. He could have just said years, but he's separating the days. Matter of fact, he talks about those days that they were few. We look at that and think 130, right? But compared to his ancestors, right? Very few. But he said they were few, and then I wrote down they were fierce. He said again, the days, the years of my pilgrimage, in verse number 9, are 130 years, few and evil. Few and evil. Jacob had had a rough life. He'd had a difficult life. A lot of it by his own choices. But he had had a rough life. And the days of our earth, it's just a pilgrimage. But every day, People always said this to me, and I used to think otherwise. When you're sitting in classrooms every day, you think these days are never going to end, right? But boy, you start getting older. Boy, do days go quickly. What is your life but vapor? It's here, it's gone. You know, I told my wife the other morning, we were getting ready to come to church in the morning, and I looked at her and I said, I'm going to be 50 pretty soon. That blows my mind. I remember when I was like, kid, 50, they're done. You know, I used to say that, right? 
Now I'm just like 50. They're young. Amen? You know, I'm just like, wow. You know, I was telling uh, Pastor Royal to, I was speaking for Thursday. His kids are getting older. And I said, it's unbelievable. You're playing with them in the living room one day and you're walking in down the aisle the next. It's crazy how quickly time goes. And I think there's another lesson here that this is just a pilgrimage, but we ought to redeem the time and take advantage of the days and the time that God gives us. So, you see Jacob before Pharaoh. So we saw, we're jumping back to our big back to our big outline under Joseph. We saw Joseph's background, number one, his boyhood, number two, how he was betrayed, number three. Number four, we looked at his brother uh, and the story there with Judah. Number five, we looked at his bondage. Number six, his blessing. Seven, we looked at Joseph's bride. And we've been looking at number eight, Joseph's brethren, which has been a big section of our outline. But now number nine, Joseph's bounty. Again, I want to take a step back. I believe this is a good picture of the millennial reign. Joseph has been reunited with Israel. And now, again, there's a blessing there from Israel. Israel will be a blessing to this world in that millennial reign. Israel will be taken care of by the Lord himself in that millennial reign. And you see, number nine, Joseph's bounty and just how his people are taken care of. And I just want to encourage you to keep that in the back of your mind, how it is a foreshadowing, uh, in my opinion. All right, First thing in verse 11 and 12, you see Joseph's grace. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. In the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, and Pharaoh, as Pharaoh had commanded, Joseph nourished his father and his brethren, and all his father's household with bread according to their families. See, Joseph's grace, first thing we see, he gives them a position. He gives them this area of Goshen. The word Goshen means to draw near. I believe that represented the fact that they were now back and close to Joseph. But also we are given the Egyptian name of that area also, which is called Ramses, which means a thundering authority. And I believe the picture is this, that now Joseph was close and his voice was powerful. He was going to take care of them, keeping them close and his voice had authority. Again, in that millennial reign... Israel will be right there close to the Lord himself and his voice is full authority. And you see here this position that they are given and then you see a possession that they are given. They're given the best of the land. Um, They are given the land of Goshen. There is no greater land in all of Egypt. And I see Joseph's grace here because don't forget this next statement is so true. They had done their worst to Joseph. But Joseph was now giving them the best. I don't want to just keep harping this foreshadow. 
But the Jews did their worst to Jesus. But there's coming a day that Jesus is going to give them the best. Isn't that awesome? All of us can testify this. We sure haven't treated him like we should. But God always and only once has our best interest in his heart and in his mind. And he wants to bless us in those ways. You see, Joseph's grace in the position and in the possession and in the portion. Verse number 12, he nourishes them, he takes care of them, every household, according to their families. I like that. See, at the end of verse number 12, he gives them all that they need to nourish them according to their families. Uh, Dan, was it, only had one child? Benjamin had 12. And we could go back and look at all of them, but you get the idea. But what that says to me is this, a very important principle. The Lord knows you. He knows your needs. He knows what your wants are. He knows what we need to take care of us. And he will always provide for his children. And so I'm thankful that the Lord gave them according to their families because that means this, he was paying attention to them. He knew them. A lot of times we get this distant thought about God. Listen to me. God knows you. He knows your name. He knows your needs. He knows your heart. He knows your fears. He knows everything you're going through. He's not some distant, cold God out there. He, he knows everything. Listen, Jesus talked about it this way. When a hair falls off of your head, He knows. You remember those sparrows, right? And, uh, and it talks about that the two sparrows that are sold for uh, one farthing, uh, that if, if, if one of those birds dies, the Lord knows. And then the other gospel says, are, are not uh, four uh, sparrows, five sold for two farthings. Five sparrows. One for two, five for four. That's a pretty good deal. You know, you get double the amount and they throw in a free one. But the Lord said, even if that free one falls to the ground, that was have of no value, God knows. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your last name is. I don't care what your economic status is. I don't care what your athletic abilities are. I do not care any of those things. God loves you. Just as much as he loves everybody else. You say, but you don't know, I don't care. God loves all of us. And I'm so thankful for that. And not only does he love us, but he pays attention to us. He knows all of these needs. And I, I just love that, the portion that was given to them. And then that brings us to, we see Joseph's grace. And now the, this last part that we read earlier, you see Joseph's government. In verses 13 to 22. Joseph's government. Again, now he's going to deal with Egypt, right? Which is a picture of the world. And I believe, as we glance at this really quick tonight, that we're seeing, again, this millennial reign, how the Lord will bring in His people. They'll be restored together. He will rule and reign. He will take care of His people from right there in Jerusalem. But also, He will rule and reign this earth. The entire world Every knee will bow and tongue confess, all right? He's going to rule this world. And we get a glimpse, I believe, into the government 
of the Lord. So what do we see here? Look at this real quick with me, all right? Because when the end of when the this famine left a time of great problems, people needy, they didn't have anything. When that tribulation ends, it's going to leave people in a place where they need help. At the end of this tribulation will be a time, as the Bible describes, as being pestilence and famine and earthquakes. And Antichrist is going to try to promise a lot and deliver on none of it. And the Lord then will return. And He's going to take care of this world. He's going to take care of the people. And I think you get a glimpse into this government real quick in verse 13 and 14. Joseph controls the purse. And there was no bread in all the land. The famine was very sore, so the land of Egypt, all the land of Canaan, fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money. All the money. He gathers it all up. You say, what all, how's the financial situation going to be in the millennium? I'm not even going to pretend that I know, but I know this, that God's going to remove that love of money, which is the root of all evil. God is going to root out whatever this trust and riches is that man has a tendency to do. And whatever system God will have, it will be perfect. Men won't be motivated by greed. They won't be motivated to build themselves up and riches and count in their riches. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's going to control the purse. Joseph gathered up all the money. He controlled the purse, and then in verse 15 to 17, he controls their possessions. It um, says there in verse number 15, And when the money failed in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came into Joseph and said, Give us bread. Why should we die in our presence? Verse 16, Joseph said, Give your cattle. And I would give you for your cattle if money fell. And they brought their cattle into Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and flocks and cattle. And you see what he did. But their possessions... They gave everything to him. We live in a world that is possession-driven. Everything is about possessions and toys and cars, especially in this country. There's nothing wrong with having things, but don't live for those things. Be careful there. But the Lord's going to remove that. Joseph did. Just give me everything. And they did. They gave him all that they had. He controlled their purse, he controlled their possessions, then he controlled their property. Verses 18 to 20, they come back again the next year and they say, all we have left is our bodies and our land. Joseph said, give me your land and I will take care of you. They gave their property and then ultimately, they controlled their persons. What was the last, again in these verses here, uh, 18 and 19 let's look at that real quick it says there and when that year was ended they came into him the second year and said to him we will not hide it from the Lord from my Lord how that our money is spent my Lord also at the herds of the cattle there is aught left in the sight of the Lord but our bodies and our lands wherefore shall we die before thine eyes both we and our land by us and our land for bread in uh, verse number 21 and as for the people he removed them to cities from one end of the border of Egypt to the other end thereof so what happens here? Joseph now controls the purse. He controls all their possessions. He controls all property. 
The Egyptians were, they were having, coming to an end of themselves. Everything that was Egypt was being removed. And ultimately, they gave of themselves and they made this statement, we will be your servants. We'll be your servants. During this millennial reign that's going to happen one day, I don't know how, but I know he will. I can't describe you. The Bible doesn't give detail. But he will rule and reign. And this world will be a place of, as Isaiah said, the lamb will sit with the lion. A peace, satisfaction. The Lord will control all these things, and people will willingly say, We are your servants. We are your servants. No more my way, no more for me, no more what I want. They'll be fully surrendered. And there was an exception. Verse 22, those idolatrous priests who Pharaoh protected, the king of the world protected, they would be able to keep their land. They'd be able to go on with their life and their false religion. And again, that was Pharaoh. During a millennial reign, there will be no false religion. But understand this, that at the end of those thousand years, Satan will be released. And what blows my mind that I cannot even comprehend, I can't explain it, I don't know why, how, but a great portion of the population having lived, it just shows the wickedness of man's heart. After living for all those years in an environment where the Lord himself rules, where every need is met, where, where, where he protects, he nourishes, perfect justice, great portion of this world will say no to him. It just shows the wickedness in man's heart. This false religion, this false teaching will have one more run because God is just. He's not going to make everyone is not getting into all this during the millennium. It isn't that they automatically go to heaven. They still have to make a choice. And they will make a choice. And I believe this it blows my mind that the world will do that, but they will. But then, praise the Lord, a final judgment. Satan is bound for all of eternity. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and praise the Lord for that. All right? But you see Joseph's government. I think it's an interesting picture, but let's close in, in this, in verse 23 to 26. You see Joseph's goodness. His goodness. You see his goals explained in verse number 23 and 24. When Joseph, then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own. He uh, explains this very simply. He would use his throne, his power, and his authority to be a blessing to others. Joseph didn't owe them anything. 
I'm talking about Egypt. But he shows who he is and his heart and his compassion by giving them this seed and allowing them to keep, you know, 80% of everything that they have. He deals with them bountifully. The Lord is good to us. And even during that millennial reign, the Lord's going to be good to the people of this earth. We'll be ruling and reigning with Him. Don't ask me any more questions beyond that. The Lord, if He wanted to give us details, He would have, all right? But He didn't. He just left it at that. We'll be here somewhere, all right? But the fact is this, that the Lord's going to take care of the inhabitants of this earth. And He won't owe them anything. But He does it because He's good. So he words this very simply and tells them how, what's going to happen. Then I want you to see that he was welcomed sincerely. Verse 25, and they said, thou hast what? Saved our lives. Let us find grace in thy sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Out of a grateful heart. Because now they have a future. They say we will willingly surrender. And all those in Egypt willingly surrendered himself to Joseph. All those one day in a millennial reign will willingly surrender themselves. Shouldn't we do the same thing? God has been so good to us and he doesn't owe us anything. God has blessed us. He's taken care of us. That's why Paul said, it is your reasonable service to surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. You see his goals explained and then his goals established in verse 26. And we're done. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt and to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the land of the priest only, which became not Pharaoh's. You see a picture here of government and grace united never seen since never will again until the millennial reign of Christ but this new age began this new Egypt began they willingly were servants and surrendered themselves to be servants I'm just going to mention this you and I as believers should be subject to the kingdom of God. You and I, how do we enter the kingdom of God? Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That gives us access to the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is not food and drink. Jesus made that very clear in the scriptures. The kingdom of God is not physical it's not something we're not taking swords and conquering for the kingdom of God. It is spiritual. Now, they look at me, all right? If you're going to be a subject in the kingdom of God, that means you recognize him as king. And you willingly surrender to what he says in this book. I've said a couple statements. People always look at me weird. You can be saved and not a Christian. The term Christian means Christ-like. 
I have had times, unfortunately, in my life as saved that I wasn't acting Christ-like. That term was first used as a derogatory term towards people saying, you're acting just like Christ. Oh, that that would be said of all of us. Amen? And I'll say this too. You can be saved and not surrendered in the kingdom. So I don't want to do what the Bible says. I don't want to recognize this authority. I don't want to act that way. I don't want to be holy. I want to do this. I want to do that. You're a rebel. You're carnal. And in his kingdom, the Lord takes that seriously. What should be the heart, as I've been studying in our Sunday school class, as obedient children, be holy. The attitude is, Lord, look what you've done for me. I trust you. You have taken care of me. I just want to do whatever it is that you would have me to do. And then notice they willingly gave their 20%. Some, so many struggle with 10. But they willingly, because they, their attitude was this, where would I be without Every time we give, that should be our mentality too. Where would I be? I had an older gentleman when I was like 10 years old at Marine Heights. He looked at me and said this. I was filling out my offering envelope. He said, and I had, I was cool. I had one of those calculator watches. Oh, yeah. How many of you owned a calculator watch? All right, me and Brother Price. Ah, I figured you would. All right, all right, all right. And I'm sitting there, I'm typing it in. He walked up and he said, Travis John. If you had to figure out your tithe with a calculator, you're not right with God. And he walked away. Like, what? 10%? But he was right. Because my mentality is, what's the minimum I got to give here to be right with God? And he was right. That was my 10-year-old mentality. And probably 11, 12, 13, to be honest, right? Because I hadn't grown. But boy, it's a fresh thing whenever you realize... Look what God's done for me. That 10% should be a start for us. That should be a start. And God, what else would you have me to give? We as believers, Abraham and Jacob gave 10%. Egypt would give 20%. Zacchaeus gave 50%. The widow with the two mites gave 100%. But my point is this. Our attitude should be, Lord, whatever you want. Because I would be nowhere and with nothing if it weren't for you. That's what they did in Egypt. That should be our life. And that will be in a day to come. See this government Joseph had. Let's pray.